Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck. Hey friends, it's Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, professor, author, and mom of four, back with one of my favorite podcast guest for sure. We are back with Pastor Brian Haynes. Brian serves as lead pastor at Bay Area Church and Bay Area Christian School in the Houston area. Brian is a pastor, a preacher, a ministry leader. He's a graduate of Baylor University, Sikkim Bears, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. He is married to Angela. They have three daughters, and he is the author of War in the Wilderness, Fight for Family When Life Isn't As It Should Be. Brian, thank you so much for coming back to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. I am so glad to be back. Well, we are just going to dive right in. So I want to start by reading the the endorsement, actually, that I did for your book, because when I read it, I could not put it down. I just thought this is so real and so reflective of what families are facing. So here you go, guys. This is what I said. War in the Wilderness is a courageously authentic invitation to honestly face the realities of the trauma, tragedy, and heartbreak engulfing families today. This book initiates critical conversation that demystifies and destigmatizes the over-spiritualization of the complex intersection of faith and mental health that sometimes causes a crisis of faith. With a trustworthy shepherd as author leading a journey with gentle truths, relatable transparency, simple explanations, and practical guide maps, families can find healing as Pastor Brian leads them to find living water overflowing with hope. So if that's not a ringing endorsement, I don't know what is. You need to get this book today for sure. But Brian, right off the bat, I want to ask you maybe a little bit unusual question. I want to ask you about the dedication. It simply says, for Polly, with a reference to 2 Timothy 1.5, who is Polly and why did you choose this scripture? Mm. Polly is my grandmother on my dad's side, and she is 100 years old. She, um, her claim in my life, she reminds me all the time is she was the first person to ever see me because my dad was in Vietnam and she was in the room with my mom when, uh, my mom gave birth on a, on a, uh, Air Force hospital in Warner Robins, Georgia. And there was Polly. So she's been in my life all these 49 years and has been the greatest encourager to me all through life. And so that's why she gets the dedication. Well, I love that. And seeing a generational legacy, that is pretty special. Well, your book description says, we live between two gardens, Eden and the New Jerusalem. Between the gardens, there is only desert, a biblical metaphor for life. Now, your book is a story of three deserts, what I'm calling the good, the bad, the ugly, the terraform, the terrible, the terrifying, and the difference between life, suffering, and death is my interpretation. Mm -hmm. So why don't you walk us through these three deserts, starting with Midbar? Okay. So... Like you said, uh, we are theologically and practically, I think, living in a wilderness called life, and it is like a desert. Uh, Biblically, 
Midbar is one word for wilderness or desert in the context of the Old Testament. And Midbar is desert you can survive in. So you're in a desert, you know you're in a desert because it's hot, because it's difficult to grow things, because it's sufferous to a degree. Um, but it, at the same time, it is manageable. Uh, it's what I would call kind of our normal way of living. Um, and the reason, the reason is life is such, such a desert, at least from a biblical worldview, is the impact of what we call sin and the sins of others. And so it has, um, from, from the lens of scripture, brought a brokenness to the world. If, if you know much about the Bible, that first garden is called Eden, it's paradise. And the last garden is New Jerusalem or the place of new peace. Uh, it's perfect and God is with people in both of those places, just very tangibly. But when you move into life, as you follow the scriptures, you find yourself moving into the desert. And so this first one is Midbar. It's desert you can survive in. Um, if you know what you're doing, it, 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 you can make it. Um, and we all, we all live there. We go through difficulties and situations and circumstances that from time to time remind us that even though we may live, you know, urban downtown or a suburban area or somewhere be beautifully rural, um, we're in a desert. And so uh, that's, that's kind of the first level. It's just desert you can survive in. So that sounds like just the world today. I mean, it's not great. Some parts are great. Some parts are okay. It's just kind of baseline yeah. life. Baseline life. I think we call it, uh, we feel normal and I'm okay in Midbar. Like <laughs> I, I, I'm, I sometimes Midbar. crave normal, you know, uh, because because life can be hard. Uh, but Midbar is, is manageable for sure. And we see the psalmist cry out, uh, as he's writing, he uses the word midbar over and over again, and it's it's uh, a cry to meet God there, um, not because he's suffering so much as he just wants to be with uh, be with God. So it's it's neat. Well, so interesting because I don't think we read our Bible with those translations and saying, "Oh, the psalmist is talking about midbar now." But it's so helpful to have that context from you. Now, walk us through the second desert, and you're gonna have to say it slowly so that I, you know, don't embarrass myself and not knowing how to say this. Yeah. What is the second desert? How do you say that? Yeah, I'll do my best in Texan <laughs> Hebrew. Okay, Texan Hebrew. Um, but it's I love it. Tia, so it's like T S Tia. It's very, uh, n uh, it's not an English, you know, like uh -huh. um, sound, but Sia is, is desert you can survive in if you have help. So these are, this is the scourged earth. You know, this is the, the part of the wilderness, the part of the desert where you have a hard time finding a tree for shade. You have very much, uh, pain and the difficulty of looking for water that you need to survive. There are not many people in Sia. And the only way to survive Sia is if you have help. Um, so you're gonna need things in Sia from other people like community, people to surround you, to hold you up, to kind of go through that part of life with you. You're gonna need hospitality, people to meet basic needs uh, that, in that portion of your, or season of your life, you're having a hard time meeting because you're just trying to breathe. 
Um, Siah in the in the Bible is also talked about by, by Isaiah, by the by the psalmist. Um, this is uh, this is the kind of land where it's it's hard to find water. Uh, when when the psalmist says that uh, the the Lord our God is a God who makes streams flow in the desert, he's talking about Sia. There's not streams flowing in the desert there, and so God is doing something uh, miraculous in that. And we go through this. Uh, every one of us, we we live in Midbar a lot, and uh, and and sometimes in our lives we move towards Sia, this this wilderness of life that you can only survive in if you have help. I'd say we've been in it as a family a number of times, and um, and people do. All people go there. Well, and it feels like that describes basically the status of our world since 2019, since mm-hmm. COVID and racial unrest and just all of this strife and conflict. It feels like at some point during that time, we've all been there just feeling more discouraged, more distressed, more dry than than we just have in Midbar. Mm-hmm. Definitely you recognize the level of brokenness in a different way than when you're just living in, in Midbar. Sia is, uh, has teeth to it, so to speak. It, you feel it when you're going through it. And then let's go to the most extreme. What is the third desert? Mm-hmm. The third word um, that I point out for desert in the context of the scripture is Yashimon. Yashimon is desert you can't surviving. So this is this is the the times of life, the 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 few moments, the few seasons in life where you're going through something so egregious, so difficult, so painful, so sufferous that you feel like you cannot survive. And um, you know, we practically speaking, I take people to all these deserts um, on a regular basis to kind of study these topics that we're talking about now. And when we go to Yashimon, the particular geography we go to is uh, very Southern Israel, almost all the way to Egypt in this place called Maktesh Ramon. And it is literally, there is nothing living down there. And you look around, you can't find a tree, you can't find water, um, it is it is barren, barren land. And we go early in the morning because um, we have only four hours to be in there because after that, all of our water that we've carried in and everything will be gone because the the air literally sucks the water out of your body. I mean, it is so easy to dehydrate. There's no shade, no food. And the interesting thing biblically is in Yashimon, desert you cannot survive in, that's the place where God does the greatest miracles. Hmm. So we see like the people of Israel coming out of Egypt in captivity right into Yashimon and they get water from a rock and manna from heaven. And it says their shoes don't wear out and their clothes don't wear out. And it's miraculous. Um, and so Midbar is kind of normal. Siah. You can survive it if you have help. Yashimon, you're going to need a miracle from God to get through. 
I think one of the things I love in your book is that you provide that biblical perspective of these real deserts that existed and the real names for them. And you've traveled to those places. And so you make those places come to life, but also make those biblical places that are ancient somehow seem relevant in this moment. And I'm going to ask you to tell a story I've heard you tell before, but you tell a story about living water and Mm. finding that in the context of the biblical ancient text, but also how it relates to our lives today. And I said in our first series, it was my favorite podcast episode, and that has stayed true. I listened to that story several times, so share it with our listeners, Brian. Sure. So, I don't know what you, you know, where you come to as you're listening to this podcast, what you know or what you think about the Bible, but whatever you think about it, uh, it is clearly a beautiful sort of narrative telling us good and solid truths about how to live and what life is like. And so we get this picture of life being a desert. And when we come to the book or the gospel of John chapter seven, there's this really interesting account where Jesus comes to Jerusalem to the festival of Sukkot. And Sukkot is a celebration that that is taking place. It's commanded in the Torah. Uh, people are gathering. They build booths sort of outside their homes and in, the, in, the, in their, we'll just call them backyards. And they are remembering God's provision for them in the wilderness, in the desert. Um, and they connect with that. And Jesus shows up for this festival in John chapter seven. And it says in John seven, I believe it's verse 37, it says on the last day of the feast, the great day. And then it goes on to tell, you know, what happened. Jesus stood up and cried out in a loud voice. And I I remember um, one day thinking, I wonder why it tells us on the last day, the great day. And we begin to study that and look, look at that and listen to other people who would have understanding from an Eastern perspective. And they said, well, it's really, it's really obvious, but we wouldn't get it as kind of 21st century Americans. And the reason he stood up and cried out, the reason it tells us on the last day is because on the last day of the feast, the great day, there was this massive water libation ceremony. So the high priest, in the context of the uh, Levitical priest in that time frame, he would be on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He would have a, a golden pitcher and he would go down the stairs to the pool of Siloam, which is spread, f- fed by one spring, the Gion Spring that feeds most of Jerusalem its water. Jerusalem is actually in the wilderness. It's in the desert. It's in the Judean wilderness. And so everybody out there needs water. Everybody needs rain, water that comes from God. And and in the scriptures, there's these two kinds of water. There's this cistern water that that we catch and collect with our own hands. And then there's living water, which in Hebrew is maim haim. and, And that is water that bubbles up from the ground. Like it comes from God, it's a spring. And so we have the Gion spring. So the high priest leaves the temple, Uh, mount, comes down the stairs and draws water from the pool of Siloam fed by that Gion spring. It's living water, Maim Haim. 
all along the stairway, all all the way down as he walks down that that's that path, people are shouting, Maim Chaim, Maim Chaim, because this is what they need. They need it for economy, they need it for life. He comes back up the stairs, it's a long journey with the this pitcher full of living water, goes to the, the temple to pour out a drink offering. And you can imagine just crowds in that place sh- shouting, Maim Chaim, or in English, living water, living water, living water. In John chapter seven, the writer, John himself says that Jesus in that moment stood up and cried out, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And it just instantly draws you back to like the woman at the well in John chapter four, where Jesus said to this woman who, you know, in that time frame, it wasn't it wasn't kosher for him to talk to her, and he's he's he offers her living water, changes her life, changes the city that she lives in, all of that. Um, he is constantly offering this living water thing, and as people, the, the miraculous nature of the timing, as people are crying out for living water, he stands up and says, "If you're thirsty." You come to me and drink. And, and what he's telling us, what we can understand as we read that in context of the whole, is that if life is a, the metaphor for life is wilderness, midbar, sia, yashimon, that the main thing you need to survive in the wilderness is water. You have to have it. You have to have it to survive. You have to have it to thrive. If you don't have it, you're gonna die in the wilderness. And Jesus is saying to me, that's why it's called living water, by the way. Jesus is saying, hey, come to me and drink. I'm, I am living water. And, and that to me, understanding from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation that everything is the wilderness. All that takes place in the Bible is the wilderness. The metaphor for life is the, is the wilderness. That Jesus is saying, I am the primary thing, the primary person that you need to navigate these, these places in your life. Midbar, Siah, Yashimon, you won't survive without me. And from a biblical perspective, it's, it's absolutely true. And I'll just say anecdotally from my personal perspective, it has been absolutely true in my life. I know what it is to walk in Yashimon and feel like I'm gonna die. We're not gonna make it through this. And, and the Lord Jesus himself, I promise you, gave me enough to drink for the day, every day through that entire uh, journey through Yashimon and Siah. And so uh, when I think about that and I think about who Jesus is, and if, you, if you're a nerd like me and you just <laughs> wanna study you know, water, living water from beginning to end in scripture, you'll find it from Genesis all the way to the end in Revelation where living water is pouring from the east to the west. It's uh, it's a magnificent picture, and it tells us that uh, Jesus is our great hope, and he's our sustainer, he's our source of life. Well, if we only had a time machine to mm. go back and see that moment, but I feel like you just make the scripture come to life, and to imagine that is incredible. And that is my friend, is where we're going to leave you hanging until next week, because now that you've heard about these places, you are not going to want to miss next week's episode when we look at these through the lens of Pastor Brian's personal experience. Now, 
It is easy to preach and to say those things. And even if you just heard that beautiful sermon and you're listening to this on a Sunday, you still have to go to church because that was just really good and you get a bonus. But it's rare, I think, to see a pastor so authentic and so transparent. And I have been personally encouraged by the way he has shared his struggle because in the middle of great pain and suffering, he still found hope. And now he's going to help us find it too. So tune in next week as we take these biblical truths and apply them to personal experiences. And what is that like to live that out? Don't miss it. What a great word of encouragement from Pastor Brian. It's time for Conversation Keys, where we explore health impacts and home strategies for relationship building. Perhaps as you were listening today, you were thinking of times in your own life you've walked through Midbar, Sia, or Yashimon. I know I was. I grew up in what many would view as an idyllic childhood, but generations of relational traumas related to addiction made themselves known behind an unforgiving facade of perfection. Unable to imagine life without the illusion, each of us adopted destructive and life-threatening coping mechanisms in the ironic search for survival. We carried these open secrets but never, ever discussed them. My chosen weapon was the most socially acceptable, yet perhaps the most damaging of all. I rigidly adopted unsustainable standards of perfection. I somehow thought if my achievements piled up high enough, one day I would be convinced that I was enough. This unrelenting burden of perfection left me unapproachable, unrelatable, and just plain unlikable. Most of all, it left me feeling very alone and unhappy in the present, while still a prisoner of the past. Relational conflict led me to Sia, and at times Yashimon, a desert I knew I could not survive. And one particular culmination of crisis, as my tears seemed endless, I found comfort in God's Word. Psalm 56, 8 says, You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. As I thought of those words, my heart began to still before the Lord, and I simply asked, Why? He gently whispered familiar words again from the psalm, from eighty four eleven. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And the truth hit me. My vision of a pathway to a restored relationship that I saw as inherently good, God didn't. He wasn't going to change my path. He wasn't going to take me out of the desert in this journey. He was going to change me. Even still, my heart quivered with doubt. Would the Lord really withhold no good thing? Because, I persisted in my prayer, how was relationship restoration not a good thing? Then the Lord of heaven reminded me he holds nothing back from his beloved. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's Romans 8.32.
How could I believe God would give His one and only cherished Son for me, the very best version of good, but unfairly withhold a restored earthly relationship, something infinitely lesser? He wouldn't. In time, I've come to see that through the loss of that relationship, God has been faithful to keep His word and the psalm He sang over me that night. Like the sun, God lit my path and showed me the way to go. With radiance, He revealed things I had never been in an emotional place to see before. His companionship warmed my spirit. His light illuminated sin in my own life and gently pushed me towards repentance. Like a shield, God protected me from destructive patterns of communication, words that caused me pain, and unhealthy generational relationship dynamics. In giving grace, He poured out unmerited favor as I learned to rely on Him to sustain me, walking daily with the Lord on my well-lit and protected path. God did not miraculously transform my circumstances, but my heart and my mind are transformed when I accept His invitation to walk through an open door to a new way of living. It's hard. The cost of healing on the surface appears to be the loss of everything you hold dear. Only by engaging distance and discipline will you realize you were clinging to disease and destruction. There are days when I fail. (laughs) I grieve. I long for the comforts of old chains, truthfully, when I face the future with fear of the unknown. Some days my head hangs low in defeat and I feel vulnerable and weak. But I remember that God is the lifter of my head. And on those days, I grant myself the grace God affords me through new mercies every morning. I celebrate each victory, no matter how small, and I remember how far I've come in my desert journey. How far have you come in your own journey? Here is your conversation key to help you along the way. Tell your teen, I'd like to share something with you, something difficult that has happened in my life and what I'm learning from it. And after you share your story, invite them to share their own challenge and remind them you always have an open door for conversation. Try it out and let me know how it goes. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio.